Welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Lee Carlo, and as always, I am joined by Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk. Today, we are going to be doing our second director retrospective, following up on our Quentin Tarantino retrospective, and we will be discussing the great David Fincher. Uh, We will go through each of his 10 feature films and wrap everything up with the Director Fixie Awards, uh, giving our... Uh, awards to Best Screenplay, Cinematography, Actor, and Actress in David Fincher Films. Okay, guys, so I think the three of us have been pretty excited about doing this retrospective on David Fincher, regardless of whether our audience has been excited. We said, hell, we're going to do it anyway. So very much like our Quentin Tarantino retrospective, we are going to go sort of in reverse order, uh, and discuss each of our favorite films of Fincher, listing from 10 down to number one. Um, however, unlike Tarantino, who only had eight movies to discuss, we have 10 movies here, and we don't want to have our audience spend too much time with us, so we tried to try to think of ways to kind of keep this moving quickly and kind of establish some rules or guidelines to, to do that. So before we get started, I just want to say that the first rule of this podcast is... You do not talk about the social network. Second rule, guys. Don't talk about the Fincher, the social network? <laughs> ah, you ruined it. <laughs> You'd be kicked out of Fight Club so fast. Uh. <laughs> I thought that was going to get like a way better reaction with my tie in there with Fight Club. No, that was great. We, we just let you have it. We let you we were listening to it. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and start, and I agree, I think our number 10s, well, I, sh- I really fucking hope our number 10 is the same one, and for me, it's Curious Case of Benjamin Button. That is also mine. I'd love to argue, but here we go. My number 10 is Benjamin Button. Okay, so did you guys rewatch this movie? I didn't want to. I, I only had a limited amount of time with my life, like literally on this earth, and... <laughs> I did not want to rewatch it. So you didn't? I, no. I have recently enough that I didn't. I mean, I knew okay. we, it, we've been talking about this podcast for a long time. So so, so, so we, you and I, Chapin, did our homework. So uh, let me just lead by asking you guys a question. Mm-hmm. And really, anybody out there, I'd like you know to, to email us at feedback at getyourfilmfix.com if you have the answer. Um, what the fuck is this movie about? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's funny you say that because we do reference the concept a lot, Lee. Like we every every birthday we have, we always say, "Hey, we're back to <laughs> yeah, the thing and we're getting younger." And what is God. this? Our twenty third birthday, our twenty second birthday. Holy crap! Yeah, but there is no. But kids? that's a whole nostalgia thing about us wanting to like relive our twenties. There's none of that in this movie. No, no, I'm I'm just saying that's what the movie's about. Some that's some what we got out of it. What, what, what yeah. stands out to me is that like there is a consistent tone throughout all of Fincher's movies, but it is 
in no way present here. And I mean, we'll get into what we love about Fincher. Um, that's going to be the fun part of this podcast. But I love that about him. He's got this irreverent kind of razor's edge tone and kind of take on the world. And this movie has absolutely none of it. Um, and I just find that fascinating, don't you guys? Like, like you, he makes it's his biggest budget movie by far. It actually, it was wasn't it nominated for a bunch of awards yeah. as well. So, it, and I think it might have been you know one of his higher grossing movies. But like, it's it's a complete mystery to me why he would make this movie, and the result is a mystery to me. And I think that's yeah. the question that we always bring up: is what was he doing making this movie? Like, I I almost even and just decided I was going to do a top nine and just pretend Fincher didn't make this movie. I think a lot of it had to do with the special effects and what he wanted to try to accomplish with it. I think that's the case. I think I that really was do. a challenge to him. And he was like, yeah, I want to, I want to try this. This is going to be groundbreaking and whatever. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but ultimately you have to tell a story and you have to tell it well. And well, uh, he used, he used that similar technology in social network with the Winklevi twins uh, right, but it wasn't, to, it wasn't to about great success. So, but he's yeah, done that before, where he sort of experiments with a technology and then uses it to another extent in other movies. And I yeah, think, but Benjamin think Button was about that. It was about the reverse aging. I mean, the Winklevoss twins, like honestly, it didn't like you could have you could have hired twins to do that if right. you knew that no, you absolutely. didn't. It's very interesting, but with that, it's like it's a challenge. And I think Fincher likes to take on these challenges and we'll talk about that more with other movies hmm. and as far as your point Chapin, his tone with this movie or or whatever you want to call it let's just call it tone for now um maybe basic aesthetic and feel but i think there is one other movie which is my number nine and we'll get to it that doesn't follow that but after the my 10 and 9 i think i i would agree with you 100 percent. i um if we let's pretend just for argument's sake um, that this movie did have that Fincher feel and aesthetic and mood and tone and everything that we like about Fincher, what like the character of Benjamin, the, what makes no sense to me is the character of Benjamin Button is so stale and void of personality that I don't understand how this movie works because he, everybody around him likes him and he just develops all these relationships and friendships throughout his life, no matter where in the world he goes. But what, uh, what is the attraction? Like if you get it, if you look at the script, like even if Fincher did his best work in this movie, that, that is still there. Yeah, that's a great point. He's not a, he's not a, He's not an interesting character, almost by definition. Like he, you, you like, he doesn't even have like a Forrest Gump esque kind of. Yeah, Forrest Gump is what I was going to bring up. Yeah, like, like that, he, it's he a just, perfect he, example. You see him go through all these things, but like they don't seem to have much of an effect on him. Like he just kind of comes, you know, like he's so young and kind of. I mean, and and when it, I guess he looks old, but he's you know he's more digital in the earlier parts of the movie. Um, when he seems to be experiencing all these interesting things and they don't, you know, that sort of uncanny valley disconnect between the digital character and what's happening around him kind of manifests itself later on when you don't really feel like that character has lived the life that we that we've seen that the film wants us to believe he has. And as you pointed out, Lee, his his character beyond just how he, you know, looks and feels or whatever, it doesn't seem to 
be interesting. He's not a he's not an interesting man. Yeah, well, I, I disagree with him not being an interesting character. on On the surface, he's a very interesting character, a person who ages in reverse. But to your point, Chapin, none of it has to do with any. There's no relationship between that very interesting aspect and everything else that he experiences. There's, as you say, a disconnect between that. I mean, like, but it's the personality, though. It's not necessarily. It's not the. It's not the concept of the character. And maybe it's Brad Pitt's fault. Maybe Brad it's the script's fault. Yeah, it could. May, it could be Brad Pitt. I don't. I don't know. But the personality is co- completely absent. Yeah, I mean, there's this. There's this sense. I think that they kind of infuse into the movie later on about you know this idea of kind of you know fleeting love and these two people passing each other in in time um with the Kate Blanchett character but I don't know like that never that never worked for me I, I it didn't it, it felt like an afterthought you know yeah and there was a movie that came to mind when that scene at the end when he comes back and Kate Blanchett is married and has a kid and you sort of maybe get this idea that like oh this was just it's it's too bad this couldn't have worked like this is they're the ones that should have been together it reminded me of the end of Castaway which really worked in that yeah, scene where yeah, yeah. where he point. sees Helen Hunt. and and I could have done with went without her actually I think it would have been better if Helen Hunt hadn't come out and like kissed him and you know said she always knew he was alive like the tragedy of that movie is that it didn't work out and yeah. you know that's that's what happens and and maybe Benjamin Button was trying to to capture that and it was nowhere like it hadn't earned that and it didn't even have it wasn't even there anyway no the result is kind of creepy like she is holding this baby's hand the last You're time right. I seen them together. No, it did yeah. that really I, well. And it was a book, but it was, uh, Stephen King's, uh, and I know you know this Lee, but Stephen King's book, uh, 22, 11, <laughs> Oh yeah. I looked at it wrong. Well, it depends on where you are. If you're in Europe, it's 22. Yeah, that's what it's called in Europe. Right. That's what you're thinking. Um, well, no, I'm looking at it. Uh, but, uh, they it did it really well um as far as like a love that that should have been but couldn't have been because right. that main character went back in time and then eventually met up with her when she was much older and it was i think what they were trying to get at with benjamin button but uh couldn't all right let's move on yes, yes. indeed quick um my number nine is uh fincher's first film alien three Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> All right. And and uh, to be fair, this was uh, for this. It was the first time I saw this movie. And now, can uh, I can I ask I you guys I'd real quick? Twice. Did you guys watch the? So there are two different versions of this. They're, they recently they released like what like Fincher won't even talk about this movie. It was such a bad experience for him. But um, they did a uh, they did a. Uh, basically, yeah. like the closest kind of cut they could to what they thought he would have wanted. Was, yeah. yeah, so no, I'm, I'm, free one on HBO Go. Gotcha. Okay, great. Yeah, I so I, I heard the same thing. You know, Fincher Fincher is under the belief that they basically just wanted someone they could push around uh, to direct this movie, and maybe that's true. And maybe he was the one to do that. It was his debut and what film. You, yeah, like what do you what is he going to do? It's his first film. He's directing right a and huge you, movie. You direct a follow-up to a Ridley Scott and James Cameron movies, like uh, sign me up. All right, so yeah, sure. And I'll I think, but but here's the thing: I do think Fincher gets let off the hook a little bit because of that. 
And there's a couple instances in this movie where I don't think we should be letting him off the hook. And the biggest thing that comes to mind is the the shot that he does of the aliens running on the ceiling upside down. The CGI. Which is kind of a, Basically is, the CGI. Right, which is a kind of a creative you know look. But he does it over and over and over and over again. And oh, you're talking about the from the perspective of the alien. Uh, the point I don't of view. Rem- I don't remember if it was the point of view or if I just I, this was one the one of the ones I revisited the longest ago. But I do have the note here. Basically, he uses that shot of them crawling across the ceiling, and the camera is upside down. And maybe the point of view is upside down too. It's the point of view of the alien, but they also show because I just watched it yesterday. It, uh, he also shows the alien crawling on the ceiling, and the the. The, yeah, the CGI is so bad. Yeah, so bad. I would, I would, I would uh, wager that you're talking about the point of view shot because they, yeah, they so do that probably. a lot. And I agree with right. you. It's just, it's sort of a inane kind of effect. And I think there's, there's no way there's a producer tapping him on the shoulder while he's editing, saying, "No, no, use that again. Use that again. Use that again." Like this is a spot where the director should choose his shots. And I think there, you know, this is where Fincher may have failed here. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he definitely needs to take some blame, and I, I don't know what I would have done in that position, and he, it seems weird to me that he is so, like, he fights it so much that he blames the studio so much, because, like, he's 28 years old at the time, you, you get a chance to direct an alien movie, and I don't know, like I said, I don't know what I would do, it, I, I mean, I would say yes, and I would do to an extent what the studio wanted me to do because you got a chance to sort of launch your career and maybe he hates it and maybe now it's easy for him to look back on it and go like fuck the studio and everything they made me do for the movie and it wasn't me and that's true because we know who David Fincher ended up turning out to be but it's interesting it's like what if you put yourself in that position would what would you do and what do you actually think is Fincher's fault compared to what the studio made him do? Is he blaming too much on the studio for for well, that movie or is it I, the story? Like what is it? I kinda disagree with you, Lee. I, I do think the blame is fairly put on the studio. Um I, I love these movies. I and I've uh, you know, had uh, you know, every iteration of the of the D V D and now the Blu ray. And they have really great special features and I've read a lot about the making of this movie in particular, but they all have these challenges making making the, this series uh, for whatever reason. Um, and you know, Fox greenlit this movie without a script. Like they they have this whole joke. Like the first poster for that, or the first like um, commercial for it was like, "On Earth, no one will hear you scream." You know, a different iteration of the tagline. And you know, of course, the movie had nothing to do with going to Earth in the end. Like they just like th- had this idea of maybe it'll go. So they they greenlit it before it was written, which is you know a fairly common thing nowadays. But and you know, like he was there was just a lot of interference. There wasn't a script. There was all this. They had they had one direction they wanted to go, and then they went a different direction. There were all these different directors attached, and they did that thing that is very common nowadays, where they set a release date, and they had to make the release date, and um. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it was that he was he was combative and he was young and kind of maybe a little overconfident. But I think like, you know, these kind of pressures are are part of making movies one, but they they are exacerbated by the that kind of commercial studio aspect of production. 
Well, yeah. I think and, it was a bit of both. Like, I feel like David Fincher <clears throat> is probably a very difficult director to work with. Like, and this was his first feature, so uh, they felt like, hey, we hired you to do what we want, and he became, um, you know, David Fincher. So I, I don't know. It's like it, I, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah, I and I right. mean, if I can argue with argue against my own point here, it, it, what I thought was interesting about this movie is that there are signs of a good director, but not. Fincher. There's nothing about this movie that says you would never, if you didn't know, you'd never know this was a David yeah. Fincher movie. None of the signs I mean, are there. It's pretty but dark. It's pretty, I mean, there's, yeah, but yeah, it goes, but that, it goes but that my could point, be anybody. This, this is not the tone of David Fincher, like you said, Chapin, with Benjamin Button. I think these two movies in particular don't feel like David Fincher and what we know of David Fincher. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this, but. I think it's interesting to note that kind of that Fincher inherited the, the you know director who does too many takes mantle from from Stanley Kubrick, and I think there's a lot of app comparisons there. But we'll get more into that now uh, or later. So who wants to go with our number eight? We should stay to the order we're doing. All right. so yeah, absolutely. I am going with the girl with the dragon tattoo. Okay, I am. I'm going with the game. I'm going with Gone Girl. All right. Interesting. So, wow. We have... What do we discuss? Do you want to do our number sevens and see if we can get anything here? Sure. All right. Panic Room, number seven for me. The Girl game... with the Dragon Tattoo is the number seven. <laughs> and the game is my number seven. All right. So let's talk about Girl with Dragon Tattoo, then the game. Uh, where are my notes here? Um, <laughs> God, it's so much easier right. if we all just agree on that. So for... for... <laughs> For me, with the girl with the dragon tattoo, I think I would have appreciated it way, way more if the movie, in my opinion, hadn't already been made almost exactly the same already. Because tonally and story-wise, the original version is is pretty close to the David Fincher version. And to me, it was just like, why? What? What did this accomplish that the first one didn't accomplish? Um, and and what was the point of really remaking it? That that's yeah, how I felt. I, I had that same thought when he deci- when he decided to make it. You know, like they he was they were promoting um, social network and kind of riding that wave of success on social network when right when they were shooting Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, they were right after each other. I think sometimes we forget that. And I was like, why is he making that? I hadn't seen the movie. I don't think I, I may have watched it once, but I don't really remember the, the original that much. But I was like, well, that seems like a weird choice. Why? Why redo a movie that's already been done? And so so recently afterwards. Yeah. And, and had been done really well. I mean, I really enjoyed the original uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And it was and I remember thinking tonally, I'm like, this is very much like a Fincher movie. And then he decides to make it, and I'm like, what is he going to bring to it that is totally different? And I trusted him because, I mean, he is a great director, but really there there wasn't anything completely new other than a recasting, um, and, and that's about it. Honestly, it takes place in the same place. Um, yeah. it, it has the same vibe. I don't know. And it, it, I guess that's not really a fault of Fincher's. I mean, he remade it well, but it was more of a question of why. Hmm. Yeah. So this movie is, is hurt by the fact that it, it, it faces comparisons to two things. Ultimately 
the original movie that was made, the Swedish version, and then the source material, the book. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's always unfair to make those comparisons, I think, because, you know, like we say, a movie is a movie is a movie, and you should judge it on its own merits, but it's also inevitable. And I um I have read the book since the since well after this uh, movie came out since we reviewed it originally on the podcast um, and I actually went back and listened to that podcast you know because I knew we were doing this this uh, retrospective and Jeremy you and I did it with Tyson who uh, provided a lot of insight because he had read the books at the time and and he was a big fan of Fincher's version he said it was closer to the source material that. Uh, Lisbeth Salander was 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 drawn better in comparison to the source material than the Swedish version, and I could not disagree with that more. Like I, I think, I think that Fincher uh, didn't lay like didn't go dark enough with this, and didn't go Whoa, deep enough into the characters. Said that. I I really do. Like I think there's two major flaws in this movie. Uh, Daniel Craig didn't bring nearly enough to the to the character of Mikhail for for this movie, and that's important. But ultimately, and I don't know that I felt this way when I first saw it, so again, this is why I feel like it's unfair that my opinion has changed now that I've read the book. Uh, but Rooney Mara doesn't doesn't nearly capture the layers of Lisbeth Salander, and that ultimately is what hurts this movie. Um, I think that's fair. Uh, so it's fair to did, criticize... Did you say you think that's fair, Jeremy? I, I absolutely think that's fair. Hmm. It, but here's the thing. I didn't feel see, that I mean, way until I read the book. Right, but you're still making it based. It's not like he, this came out of thin air. He's making no, it, it doesn't. But uh, that, but I always have a problem with that argument. In the in the movie that uh, the the book in the movie that I always use for this comparison is bringing down the house about the the uh, MIT kids that counted cards in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that movie, I was I you know I thought it was really interesting. I had a good time. I loved it. And then I read the book, which was so, so, so much more interesting that I was like, wow, that movie actually kind of sucked. Yeah, that's and, interesting because it's, it's so the reverse with the social network. <laughs> well, I like both in that case, but that is Have the same you, author, so, too. So, Lee, you, you've seen the original Girl with Dragon Tattoo, correct? I've seen the original and I've seen yeah, the... Yeah, you guys did was, a podcast on it. Yeah, yeah. So, what it, so if you were to compare Numi Rapant Rapaces. <laughs> you've had, you've yeah, been having a hard time with this name for 10 oh, years. That poor girl. <laughs> wow. If I were to compare the two. So, Numi Rapace, the one thing, and actually it was weird because listening to the podcast on Fincher's version, Tyson said the exact opposite. She she captures the vulnerability of Lisbeth mm-hmm. that Rooney Mara doesn't. Fincher kind of creates a, a Lisbeth Salander in his version that is just badass and and fearless and will do whatever it takes and and you kind of and he does do a good job of of helping you get to the point where you understand why she is that way but there is a really really important layer to that character and that's the vulnerability that is in the swedish version not nearly to the extent that it is in the book but we all we you know i i can forgive it more in the swedish version because i think it is there and it's captured and it makes the the arc work so much better and and look like i i felt the same way as you jeremy coming out of the theater of with girl with the dragon tattoo with fincher's version that it was we i had seen this movie before and you could say okay yeah this piece was better here this piece was better in the previous version and it's basically a coin flip you know 
And I still sort of feel that way. And I do think that having read the book is what pushed this down the list a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it's good material for Fincher. But ultimately, like, you know, what did he do here that, that elevated it? Yeah, well, okay, I'm sorry. I just want to make sure when we go through these that we keep track of where everybody is. So, um, so Lee, this was your number... This was my number eight. Number eight, and Jeremy, it was your number seven? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, this was number five for me, so it was a lot higher, but I think it's it was before that, you know, the top four, which I assume is going to be the same for all of us. Um, and I'll just defend it a little bit. I have not... Uh, when I, I saw the... I, I don't remember the original enough if I did, in fact, see it, but you know on its own judging it without any um outside influence i i i like this movie i think it feels lighter than the subject matter might suggest you know it's not i think which is a problem with this if that's the case yeah and um i i enjoy watching it a lot like jeremy i remember when you and i i think we re-watched it or we watched the special features or something one of the last times you visited and i thought i i remember it fondly i liked liked it but it didn't it didn't quite have the impact that the social network did. Um, and you know, when we saw it in theaters, that's of course what was in our mind. It was only a year later that it came out. Um, and I don't know what I'll say in defense. I think it's, I think it's beautiful, beautifully shot. I I, I love what Fincher does with what I, what I assume maybe he brought to this that is not so much in the, in the sweetest version is that there is like that. He kind of handles the tech part of it a little bit. Well, maybe kind of culturally understands Elizabeth slander a little bit better, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with you guys that this is, this is kind of a, I wouldn't call it a miss, but it's just kind of a light take. And I think we want Fincher to, to do significant projects. Well, and for this to be his follow-up to Social Network, I think was a little bit disappointing for me, especially, but I think probably all of us. But I have sort of a, I guess, somewhat hypothetical question for you guys with this movie. And it does come back to the the thing I always kind of whine and bitch about is, you know, the accents, the, you know, the Swedish accent uh, from Swedish characters, you know, when they should just be speaking Swedish, like in the Swedish version or whatever it may be. This movie like Jeremy said, takes place in the same place, uh, you know, but it's an American movie made, you know, with all American actors. Do you think it would have made a pretty significant difference if this movie took place in the United States? Yes. I think it would have, I I think it would have distinguished itself enough to make it something a little bit like its own thing. That's fine. I, I, I do too. I do too. And I don't know why they didn't. Like, there's nothing that prevented them from doing that. Like, they, they could gone all, could have gone to Long Island or whatever, upstate New York. Like, it, it, it anywhere, it would have worked. You could have gone to and the I don't West know why Coast. They did. I just don't want that Long Island. I, I, I don't think it would have worked on the West Coast, personally. I, I'm, I'm not sure anything does. Nothing? Nothing? That's your <laughs> own unpopular Peace. opinion, Lee. Peace out. <laughs> All right, so uh, are we moving on from this one? Let's move on, so yeah. We, so we can – two of us have mentioned the game, correct? Game, correct. The, yeah. That was uh, my number. Both of you did. Both that, of you did, That's my right? number seven, yeah. And, Jeremy, it's your number eight? Correct. All right, it's my number six. All right, so we're right there. So what's your number seven, Lee? My number seven was Panic Room. Oh, okay. All so right, the so- game – Maybe the we game. should just go by your list, Lee. Like, we just talk about the movies as they come up for you. 
No, I think it's fun to talk to say them. All right. No, I know. So, yeah, of course. But okay, okay, yeah. Keep going. The game. All right. So the game. So I I've only seen this movie once, and it was one of those I wasn't able to revisit this time. But I just when when I first watched it, it was I found it too convoluted and unbelievable in a weird way to get behind it. Sure. And I think with with Fincher, I think a lot of his like movies are re- relatable in a, a realistic sense, no matter what their like their subject matter is. And the game just seemed too out there and too unbelievable to really go with it or to buy the story. And in of all his movies, what what you need to do with the game is to be able to go with it and buy the story. And I, I couldn't do it. And that's why it's so far down on my list. Yeah, I'm I'm with you to a certain extent. Um, unbelievable is a good word that you use there. Um, it doesn't make sense. And that's the biggest problem. There's there's a lot of excitement in this movie. There's some really edge of your seat suspense and drama. Uh, and I think a lot of it works really well. And I think Fincher does a good job ultimately with this movie. Um but it makes no sense. It's ridiculous. It does. It 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 goes too far into the realm of absurd, um, and it isn't grounded enough in reality to really ultimately work. Um, and I think that's the problem. And I and I do think that what's frustrating about it is that if he took a step back and set it a little bit more in reality, and maybe took out or changed a couple scenes here and there with just like these ridiculous gunfights and and these things that I don't care how much you suspend your disbelief, no organization could orchestrate this type of, mm-hmm. you know, fantasy for somebody. And that's where it does That's where it gets absurd. And there's too much set in reality in this movie to accept to the parts that aren't. Does that make sense? Say that one more time. No, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Say it again, but that, that makes uh, a lot of sense. And I think there's, it's correct. There's too much of this movie that is set in reality to accept the facts that are not set in reality. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. Michael Douglas, I think, is very, very good in this movie, if not fantastic. Uh, and his character is is in many ways sympathetic and... In many and, ways and not. Also, yeah. And also unlikable, yeah. And I think he does an unbelievable job in it. And I've always liked Michael Douglas, but... I think that's a good way to describe most of his characters. Yeah, he's. I like him. I think he's a good actor. I think perhaps oddly underrated in some ways, but he's great in this movie, and he captures this character perfectly. Um, and the scene when he, just before his game begins and he starts talking to his TV and he's talking to his ex-wife on the phone is the perfect example of his arrogance and unlikability and selfishness, and he does it perfectly. And and so so much that there is is perfect and set in reality, and then it just falls off the deep end. Like it just goes too far. And it, and then you get the end where he's just so conveniently a changed man. And it just, I didn't buy it. And yeah, as a, as an audience member, you desperately want this to be relatable enough that you can go along with it. You, you cause it like the concept's so unique and so cool that you're just like, you, you want to be able to go along for that ride. And the fact that it goes so off the rails and so uh, it, it's so unbelievable as you say Lee it becomes almost disappointing in that way it's like 
oh man like what a great what a great idea but i can't i can't go along with this because it's crazy yeah Yeah, and i think this is a you know it is higher on my list for me than it is for you it's my number from my number six um but this is probably um a good spot for me to kind of drop my bombshell of the podcast um so I was underwhelmed by the majority of the Fincher movies that I rewatched, which was almost all of them. Okay. Interesting. And, well, I wrote down here um, that based on the ones we've talked about so far, do you think Fincher is in the back of his mind, if not in the front of his mind, really desperately trying to be a commercial director like he wants to be commercially successful more than he wants to be artistically successful i definitely don't think that would be in the front of his mind i i don't really feel that way i mean i feel like like whatever like all the criticism we said with the girl with the dragon tattoo and the game and uh everything we've talked about so far benjamin button I feel like a lot of it has to do with Alien, like him wanting wanting the commercial success of maybe a Cameron or a Spielberg or something like that, and I think it hinders him to an extent. I, I think I see his career not so much what you just said, Jeremy, but being more reactionary. You know, you look at a movie like Ben, you look at Benjamin Button, which we can't figure out why he did, but it follows Zodiac, which was... A rather expensive and rather a passionate project for him there was five years between panic room and zodiac and then zodiac kind of bombed and then you know this commercial movie comes along that's you know challenging and it features brad pitt and probably would get will have commercial success and he he decides to do it and then you know i and uh, to me i I don't really i don't I, I mean, I, I don't want to go back to the game. It seems like we've moved on from that. But I, I think that movie's a little bit better than you guys gave it credit for. But it does feel like... We're still on it. It feels like a lighter movie than Seven. I mean, it is a lighter movie than Seven, right? But, you know, you, well, make, this, so. <laughs> you make this really dark movie that's extraordinarily successful. Um, and then, you know, two years later, he makes this movie that's that's kind of thriller light, right? Like, it's not... I, I like the game too. I, I I like I like the game maybe more than you guys did. Even, although it seems to be about about the same or lower than I liked. I liked it. I I just I think it's I think it's really well done. I think from from I do too from Fincher's point of view, from a directing point of view, it's really well done. I think it's shot well. Uh, like you said, the acting is really good. It does have some script problems. I mean, in just in general, I have a problem with movies that are for lack of a better descriptor here, like it was all a dream where at the end of the movie, you know, nothing that has happened was real um, or it was staged or something. And so it makes those movies more difficult to appreciate over and over again. And I would say I probably have revisited the game the least, although I did do it, do it recently enough that I feel confident to talk about it. Um, And I just think like there's there's flaws in the script. It's just it just it isn't it just in kind of the overall concept of it. Like, you know, you're going to and I think it did have a lot of opportunity to be like, okay, here's an interesting way. Like, how do you keep the guy? What do you get the guy who has everything for for his birthday? And it's like, you know, how do you keep 
rich, the, you know, the ultra rich, the 1% like entertained. And I think there was a lot of potential for that and they tapped it a little bit, but ultimately, you know, it's just, it's just a movie that I think Fincher did his absolute best with, but that was probably flawed from the beginning. Yeah. And I, I mean, if I had to pick a movie to redo, I would pick the game because of what you just said, uh, Chapin, the, the concept is really cool. And imagine trying to do that in a very realistic setting where there are the mistakes and flaws and things happen that aren't supposed to happen. And you, the payoff is it, it is satisfactory. Yeah, I, I would love to see that movie. Yeah. Look, I liked this movie. It's my number six. And the reason I kind of brought up the fact that I was ultimately sort of as a whole underwhelmed by all these Fincher movies is that as we creep closer and closer towards the top, you know, the, the movies, it was, it was more difficult for me to rank his lower movies. And I think it's been a little bit telling that so far we are, are, are criticizing Fincher a whole lot more than we've been uh, complimenting his movies here. Um, And, you know, perhaps that will change, obviously, as we get closer to the top. Of course it will change. But, you know, I have a lot more notes throughout about flaws in his movies that I found. And I found myself, and perhaps it's the pedestal I put him on over the years, but I have, I found myself less impressed with his movies. So while the game is the number, is number six, it's not a whole lot higher than my number nine, you know? Right. Yeah, sure. So that, so it's like, he's, he's skew he's skewing low. He's, right, he's got exactly. a low average. I had that same sort of revelation with Tarantino. Um, Jeremy, what is your number six? Because we know Lee's is the game. Uh, my number six is Panic Room. As is mine. All right. And that was mine, what, number seven? Perfect. Um, I'll, why don't I talk about this one? I actually kind of – I revisited this again recently, of course. Um, and I, I've kind of always liked this movie – um, it is again very light. It followed Fight Club, so that makes sense. <laughs> um, and it's he, like he almost needs to like yeah, just like decompress a little bit. Like he, take a breath. I remember reading or hearing something. I think he was talking. He it was on the commentary for this for the making of this movie. Um, and he had said, you know, he had like uh, Jeremy. You'll appreciate this. Like a you know over a hundred. Uh, locations on Fight Club. You know, it was a very location heavy movie oh, in like God. 80 something days or something, something crazy, like People where the average that. is like two company moves a day, something crazy like that. Right. And, you know, no, once thanks. we look at that movie, you can, you can see that. And so he said he literally took it, he took it very literally. He wanted a movie where it was, everything was set in one location and that's what Panic Room is. But Panic Room turned out to be a very, very difficult movie. It starred, it initially starred, um, uh, Nicole Kidman, but she got injured on the movie, and then they had to For shut trivia, down. Trivia: She's still, she is still in the movie. She is, yeah. She's the wife on the phone, um, yeah. and then it was replaced by Jodie Foster. And like when you think it was actually Hayden Panettiere and and uh, Nicole Kidman, and then Jodie Foster, who was supposed to be Sean Penn's character in the game, um, but then came on to do panic room after nicole kidman dropped out and i I mean and i i i i think like the whatever the delays the mistakes this is a better cast for this movie um i like jodie foster a lot in this movie i think she's really strong and great and i i love what they did in this movie i i a lot's been talked about all the sort of that the digital camera and this is kind of the first time he's used that a little bit there's a little bit of that in um fight club but he kind of maybe overdoes it a little bit in this movie but i don't know i think he makes a really interesting movie out of what's kind of a simple idea yeah i mean it's it's 
very Hitchcockian. I mean, like he takes, like you say, a very interesting and simple concept and it's way more entertaining to me than, you know, every movie I've mentioned so far. I mean, there's, there's real stakes. It's the good guys versus the bad guys. And, um, I don't know. I think it, like, I think Fincher's kind of having a little bit of fun with this and he, it, it's a bit of an exercise for him and I like it. I like that in it. Yeah. I mean, basically this is the start of my list of where I'm going. Yeah. This is where it really works and where he's really putting it together is, is panic room. So I think that this movie has a similar problem as Benjamin Button. Um, at least from Fincher's perspective, uh, take the script out of it. I think he gets a little bit too caught up in what he's doing, uh, technically in this movie and with his camera and, loses sight of the story and the characters and the suspense. Um, if you look at the script, which was written by David Kep, I think, um, it's it's not great. The characters are really thinly drawn, especially the three villains. Um, there, there's very poor development in it, and I think Fincher just leaves that alone and lets it just play as it's written on the page and plays with his camera too much, and it gets in the way. Um, and then all that having been said, he still, in my opinion, never really creates a claustrophobic feel in this house, which was pivotal. It needed to be there, and I never got that. But why, I mean, why do you need those characters to be developed? Well, I mean, if because that's, I mean, that's what I like in a movie. Yeah, but, first like, and foremost, but, but I mean, I guess, like, the, the I think, you know, you're... I guess you are seeing it from both perspectives. The I see what you're saying, and, though. But, like, you know, they're, they're sort of, they are, it's sort of such a, like, a real-time movie in a way, you know, like, um, it's, things are kind of happening, and you're in this one location, and there's not a lot of um, extraneous yeah, you don't need, things. you don't have time to learn about Forrest Whitaker's kids and how he's trying right. to and I'm not asking, I'm not asking for that. I'm asking for anything more than the, the really evil villain in this, which I really should have done my prep better and gotten these guys names um i know jared leto and forrest whitaker are the dwight yoakam dwight yoakam anything more than what he gave us is all i'm asking for like it, it's so one-dimensional and and so just poorly developed that it, it just I, I it left me so uninterested like it uh, you know this the stakes weren't there i hate to bring those up again but like i was never worried and what number what was this yeah what was this on your list so this was a this was number seven, but my when I originally put the my order together, it was a, it was my number eight. And uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo fell Doesn't behind it a little what bit. Your, it was your number seven. Are you changing? Yeah. No, I'm not changing it. But okay. I, I, I'm saying it's it was very close to eight. So it clo- it falls closer to eight than it does to six. Um, but it's my number seven. So it's it's not terribly far behind you guys, but because i enjoyed it like i think the the concept it's is is interesting and i agree that jodie foster was really good in this um i actually think kristen stewart was quite good in it as well um and there were elements that worked really well and when those you know w- you know certain things like when they when those stakes got elevated like things as simple as her needing her um insulin you know th- that's that works like that's pretty basic storytelling but that works 
But those moments felt like they were few and far between for me. Ultimately, I felt like this movie could have could have done so much more with the the claustrophobia of the panic room itself and the house as a whole. The the villains actually being scary, I, I think, would have helped. <laughs> Uh, and, and so th- that was where my disappointment here fell. And I'm, perhaps I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit on this one, but, um, no, yeah, ultimately I, I felt that way the first time I saw it, uh, Lee. And, and when I revisited it, I, I kind of fell for it. I just, I just went with what the story Fincher was presenting. And like I said, it was very Hitchcockian. And then I you know, it was about Jodie Foster's character, and that was my concentration. And I appreciated that, and I think that really works in this movie. And if you kind of go with that, then you you have a... This is where you start seeing a great filmmaker doing amazing things with the art form. See, I disagree with that. I think he was experimenting here, and it, it felt like an experiment to me. I, I think you're right. I mean, I think there is... Um, I, he wasn't doing. Who's right? I, I think I think you're both right, but I think what you're saying Lee, is <laughs> what true. a cop out answer. No, no, Lee, you you are correct, but I, I I mean this is but this is a better movie than you're saying it is. But he is Probably. doing something with that camera in this movie, and he, it's like where it's where he's sort of the most omnipresent in any of his movies you know like you at least where where you're more the most aware of of his camera and they're that's saying a lot with fincher because he is a very like his camera positions and and his camera movements are very important and um but uh i think you're right like and 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 while you found i think it seems like you found that distracting and your sort of interpretation of that is that he was a little bit more focused on that aspect of it i think that's what Jeremy and I responded to it's sort of Hitchcocking it's sort of like a it's like looking at 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 the sort of at a thriller in a more interesting way I mean he as I said in the intro to this he decided to make this movie because it was you know set in one location but he was gonna do all these very interesting ways of telling these story this story um but I agree it's it feels experimental it feels like there's there's more importance put on the camera work than you know maybe ca- character development but i don't think that I, to me that it doesn't it just means it's a different type of movie and and i think like jeremy said he's still like be, i think he's he's still like a very um kind of important and 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 strong filmmaker here i think he's still making something it's just not what you i think want it to be i i and i don't disagree with any of that and i felt similarly but my issue is ultimately that when I'm looking at David Fincher, and again, if we were to restart these this retrospective today and go back and rewatch these films, I do feel like I would have a, a different level of what expectation. Do you mean restart but, it today? We, aren't we restarting it today? Yeah, what we no. My, what are we like, doing? <laughs> no, I mean, if I were to go back and, and rewatch all these movies now, I feel like I would have a little bit of a different expectation of, of Fincher. But with the... <laughs> I still don't understand what you're saying. So my... my 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 expectation of David Fincher going into rewatching all these movies was extraordinarily high before this before watching all these movies yeah my my expectations were high having rewatched them all it has lowered a little bit as much as it pains me to say that so going into these things I'm if I went into panic room now I might not be looking for that perfect blend of storytelling and character development and camera work 
And but I was when I went into it. I was actually Panic Room was one of the ones I was most excited to revisit because I I, I remembered it the least, but also loved the concept and loved and you know had this expectation of Fincher. And all I ended up getting in the end was you know some good you know direction and camera work, but ultimately he didn't have that final piece that he does really well in some of his best movies. All right, and that's fair. And I mean, I think we're in a weird way splitting hairs here because I mean it was your what number seven it's our right number, number six, six. Yeah. like we're 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 so close on this but I think like we're at that edge where you you can argue the points where you didn't love it while we're arguing the points where we loved it but I do think it's interesting Lee that this is still pretty I mean it's number seven it's on your list but it's still um, it's still not a good film. I mean, it doesn't seem like you'd recommend it. It seems like it's still not one you enjoyed. And so, yeah, it's still falling I, in the so ladder. I find that yeah. interesting. Okay, well, let's yeah. move on. So what, so what is your number five? My number five is Zodiac. Oh, f- Jesus. Really? Number five. Christ. Wow. My number five is Gone Girl. My number five is the girl with the dragon tattoo. Well, this is interesting. I'm glad because that would that changes our top four. So okay. Yeah. Um, what so do you guys wanna... have both mentioned Gone Girl. Yeah, let's talk about Gone Girl. All right. Yeah. So well, it was number eight for me. <laughs> yeah. So it was low on your list. Um, so all right. I, do you want to mention where it is on yours, Lee? It's my number four. All right. Um, this one for me. This was an interesting one for me because I don't feel like Fincher brought a lot to this movie, but the story and the screenplay were so interesting that it got me. And there's it was it was such an up and down movie for me, um, but ultimately in the end, everything worked. It from start to finish, it things started, it, it paid off, and I'll get into a little more detail as we go through and I hear you guys' initial thoughts on it, but. For me, this was an example of Fincher taking a really good script and knowing that he had a good script and not messing up, messing around with it too much. I agree. It, it's Fincher taking that script and doing what he does best. And it's such an interesting movie. Like I, 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 I just rewatched this, and it's the one I remembered least. Like It had the least impact on, on me. Of me, me too. I, I don't remember of, it particularly all, fondly from seeing but, it originally but re-watching it i'm like this is a fucking good mu- movie man like it really is and I, it, it's weird because it kind of starts as like a like the dialogue starts almost as like a uh hepburn tracy like 1920s 1930s movie where everything's rat-a-tat-tat and okay and, so on on that point yeah and this is something i was going to bring up anyway so carrie coon who plays his sister very nearly ruined this movie. I thought. I don't think that's her. I think that. I don't know that it was her fault. I think it was partly the way this character was written. It was obnoxious and but I, I, I don't know. But it was interesting. It. I thought that was interesting. No, that, I that, hated like, it. And the fucking stupid little conventional ploy they used to like you? number four. But this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this. But her character. Like, every time she was on screen, I was like, I can't watch this movie anymore. And I hate 
these stupid little things they do where they're like, oh, they're playing kids' board games together, so they must be close. And I wanted to fucking blow my brains out every oh, time they no did it. I, 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 I totally went with it. I, I love that they, they sort of went with this super interesting, like, I hated their relationship. That... I hated it. That's fine. Why? You know? Wait, why? I mean, but first of all, you have it ranked highest on. Yeah, why are we our... defending yeah, cause I really it liked to you? The mo- I really liked the movie, but can I say my point and then? You... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, but you sort of brought that up, so <laughs> I, I did bring it up, but I don't remember my fucking point anymore. Jesus. For fuck's sake. Uh, I thought she was fine. Like I had no problem with her. I just thought it was interesting, and I thought, well, if we're gonna talk about actors, I thought Ben Affleck was both. I never felt like an actor was both horrible and, and great at the at same the time. Same fucking time. Like he I know was a bad actor, but like no, no, it wasn't back and forth. It was just like he was clearly a bad actor, but he was clearly perfect casting yeah wait when when was he a bad actor i mean i again i don't know what's happening here i'm defending ben affleck but what what do you (laughs) what's happening (laughs) no like he was just so wooden and and uninteresting and boring but like that's what that character was so either he was he should have won every oscar there was or it was just like david fincher being like this is who i'm going to cast because this is how he's going to perform i mean you're you're absolutely right it is perfect casting and i think he's what's so interesting about fincher is that he does do such a great job he's there's there are other moments where he casts people who i don't think are very good actors in really good roles and this is i think this is the best example of it but there are many others yeah that's it's really because i had i had said that affleck goes back and forth that the scenes where he's bad and scenes where he's good but i think your description is 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 much more accurate that He's just not good, but he's perfect for the role. And... Yeah, and, it, and then maybe this is where we can talk about actors in Fincher's movie, Fincher's movies, because like, I don't always feel like, like similar to Kubrick, I, I don't always feel like the actors are the most important things to Fincher. They are a piece. They were, you know, they're a piece in the cog. They are a part of the machinery. Yeah, uh, I think that's also like Kubrick, right? Like, you know, Mr. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Very that's similar. what he just said. <laughs> when hosts aren't listening. I, yeah, I'm, exactly. No, I'm listening. I was just going to say because <laughs> of all the takes and shit. You know, making making Jake Gyllenhaal like throw that book in Zodiac 55 times or something, right. you know. Yeah, I am um, a part of it. I wrote down a lot of, a lot of stuff about the performances here in, in this movie because I did think it was interesting that for every good performance you had, you had a bad one. So, like, I thought the the detective not to, let's not, was, like, was uh, great. Neil Patrick Harris was not good, but and Ben Affleck was bad, but uh, Ben Affleck Rose, was perfect. Roseman Pike was good. Like, I it, it's Wait, it was, we need to land on. I mean, I think Ben Affleck was great in this, and I hate Ben Affleck. He was perfectly cast, think, and he's good I in this role. I think he was perfectly cast. I, th- I think Jeremy I described it best. But what do you I mean? What, a, I don't understand that. How can he be, he be bad if he's perfectly cast? He's perfectly cast, and he's good. I think it's the Kristen Stewart in Adventureland act. argument. Right? Yeah, no, you're right. You're 100% right. I mean, okay, it's, whatever. Like the, it's just Moving worked on. perfectly for the role. But no, no, let's not move on because it's an it's a it's an interesting point because directors' relationship to their actors are very important when it comes to movie making, and I feel like Fincher would benefit from 
caring more about his performances than using his performances to fit his ultimate goal. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder. Uh, I uh, well, because the one the when we're going to talk about best actor and act actress, like the the there was two to me that stood out beyond anything else, and they were the two. Well, don't reveal them that, yet. No, I won't reveal them yet. But like they were the two that I felt like, oh wow, you needed these people to do something Actually, above and yeah. beyond something yeah. that's like okay. more. Yeah, well, so here—that's th- interesting. I'm sorry. No, finish your th- your thought, Jeremy. No, you didn't want me to. Go no, ahead. I do. I do want you to. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I, I was like really just exhaling, and then words came out. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna move on. No, I just I, I find it very interesting that like he like when you do when when performances do stand out, they really stand out in his movies. It's a and, and I think that's interesting. What I would say is that when I was trying to assemble the best actor and best actress uh, categories, I I had this thought that I I just think like he is he when he cast when he his his the way he works with a cast, he he has really there stand. It's hard to find standout performances. I think what he does really well is cast people that work really well together. You know, you've got Brad Pitt and um, Morgan Freeman. You've got Jesse Eisenberg and um, what's his name who plays Spider-Man? Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. And, and, and as you you pointed out, Leon, um, um, uh, what's his name? Justin Timberlake. You know, like a pair. And like the, the three leads in Zodiac. You know, they're all really good. I think, I, I despite what you guys said, I think that um, Rooney Mara and uh, James Bond did a great job in girl with a dragon <laughs> tattoo together i think they just have really good chemistry um and i think ben affleck and roseman pike are good together like those the, um i mean I, I like when they when they when the performances are analyzed on their own in other words like they aren't as significant i don't think jake gyllenhaal is like a great performance in zodiac but as part of an ensemble he's i think he's fantastic okay i think that's actually a really good point because and i don't want to get too hung up on the acting although we haven't talked much about it with the other movies, so it's okay. But it was a bulk of my notes with this movie because I do think this movie was it was important that this movie had good acting, or at least it was important that this movie had actors relaying information correctly. And Neil Patrick Harris sort of comes to mind because I don't think he was very good in this movie, but he oddly served the purpose perfectly. Yeah, and Roseman Pike like. It was weird, like, listening to her uh, playing Amy, speaking like she was in a dream all the time. But then, and I think this was perhaps only effective upon second viewing when you know the story, or, if you know, for some people, if they'd read the book, that it's sort of because she's writing her own story the whole time, um, and especially the voiceovers, which it does feel sometimes like it got a little heavy, but um, since it was telling such an interesting story, I forgave it. So... Whether or not, you know, she pulled off this sort of like, like, I don't know, sedated character that she was, I think is almost irrelevant because it was more important that we got the impression that she was telling this story and sort of making it up as she goes. And like you said, Jeremy, with Ben Affleck, like, you know, he could be stiff as a board the whole movie, but it is because he sort of doesn't know how to react to anything in this situation. He's it's so foreign to him. 
Um, and I yeah, think I, it, I'd love I to think, give Fincher credit for far, all that. I think as far as Roseman Pike's concerned, like this movie totally hinged on her as far as it working or not. And Chavin, what number was this for you? Eight. So why didn't this movie work? I'll tell you. Um, it was Amy for me. Um, I just did not understand her character. I love I love the stuff with Ben Affleck. I think it's real. It like has this weight to it. I like the relationship with him and his twin sister. I know you don't, Lee. Um, I like, as you guys know, I've had him on like every one of my top fives. I love um, Tyler Perry in this movie. I love this stuff with him. I just yeah, he's so good in this movie. I just it's don't ridiculous. understand Amy. She she is this at the in the flash in the flashbacks. She is a kind of um, aloof, rich, sexy woman who has this strange relationship with her parents and the, her wealth and that, she, you know, they've written this book series about her and there's this juxtaposition between her life and the life of the fictional character. And then she's this sort of bored, uh, you know, smart woman who has nothing to do in, you know, rural Missouri. And then she turns into this, uh, you know, killer who slits her old boyfriend's throat and um, becomes completely manipulative to the media and will and as we're left in the movie she's living this strange life you know with her husband who knows everything about her um, who she really is and I just didn't buy those transitions I, I never bought it and I never understood and and so much of that movie just hinges on on her changing and i just I, I i never bought it it just doesn't it doesn't work for me i don't know who that character is and i think she is arguably the star of the movie she's the person we're supposed to know the most and i don't i don't feel like i know her at all so i actually pretty much agree with everything that you just said about that character and even almost to the point where with my feelings towards that character and how it is very difficult to buy in to it and and while I don't remember totally that may have been my issues with it the first time around but for me this time because it is so maniacal and and outrageous like I it just it hooked me like I am like it was one of those situations where you're like holy shit like what is this bitch gonna do next and and that was exciting for me here and I think that's what worked yeah uh, it's weird all three of us agree on this um but we took different Respond form, yeah, different forms of it. Because I'm with you, Lee. Like, uh, it worked for me, and I think I never questioned it. And I guess you're right, Javen. Like, why did she do? it? I'm not an- entirely sure, but it doesn't really matter. I think she's so good in this. Um, that I don't know that Roseman Pike is particularly good in it. I just think the character is is. I do. I think works. that's such a hard character to pull off, and and she does it perfectly. Okay, let's move on. All right. Number four. Right. Number four for me was Gone Girl. Jeremy? Seven. And mine is Fight Club. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So should we go to number threes? Sure. My number three. So this, my number two and three were a toss-up. Um, I'm going to go with seven. Mine's the social network. So is mine. All right, so we have that, two that sevens and that two help the us. social networks. <laughs> that doesn't help us. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> Let's go with seven. Let's talk about right. seven. Yeah. Seven yeah, is your number. Because we're not allowed to talk about social networks. Seven is your yeah, exactly. is your number four, Jeremy. It is. Yes. Oh my. And it's my number three. Oh my. Okay. 
So this one, I, I, it's been a while since I've rewatched it. I actually try started watching a little bit of it today before we were doing the podcast, but I've of course seen it many, many times. Um, and this is where starting at number three for me is where Fincher really becomes the Fincher that I know and love. Um, I mean, what he does with this material, which is certainly the darkest material that he works with, is is amazing. Like he he he. This movie could have just been little vignettes of, you know, it, uh, gruesome killings that you know, one dimensional cops that you know are totally different from each other. You know, go and investigate until you get to the end where they reveal the story and it's it's nothing even remotely close to that it's so much more detailed and interesting well i would even i would even say like literally he created a whole new style of of filmmaking with this or or maybe even almost not necessarily filmmaking but a uh, almost a genre with seven yeah uh he absolutely reinvented it if if not created a new one but yes this idea of it, it is sort of you're right jeremy like kind of like um it doesn't get enough credit for how really influential it is. Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, you, we can go, we can go, I'm sure into detail on how well he puts together some of these scenes. And, you know, the, the one that immediately comes to mind is when they find the sloth victim that turns out to be alive and how well that scene is put together, you know? So, but what really I was paying attention to in the you know hour or so of it that I got to revisit this time were kind of the little subtle pieces of Mills and Somerset because yeah I'm glad you're bringing this I've up. Al- I, I've always had sort of a question mark one about Brad Pitt in this movie who I've sort of determined that I think is good I think he misses on some occasions but ultimately his character has to be the polar opposite of Morgan Freeman, who is unbelievable in this movie, yeah. but that's not really a surprise. Um, and th- the juxtaposition between those two has to be very, very different. And I think Pitt does a pretty good job of playing this arrogant character that that you know kind of counterbalances Freeman. And but I, even more so than that, I wanted to like kind of understand the importance of Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie because she seems like such an afterthought until we get to the end when we find out what, Jeremy? What's in the box? (laughs) But there was one scene, and this is going to tie back into uh, the issue I had with Gone Girl, oddly, when Somerset comes over for dinner and Paltrow opens the door and and Mills, uh, Brad Pitt, greets her and he says, hey, loser, and gives her a kiss, and then she responds with the, hey, idiot. And it kind of is this nice little moment that sort of reveals that they have kind of a loving, sort of playful relationship, and I think it works great. And that's the subtlety I'm looking for to develop relationships, not the stupid stuff they do in Gone Girl with playing, you know, board games that they played as kids, and then this other movie that came to mind, which is pretty random but we podcasted about it a long time ago which is this movie called friends with kids with adam scott where they him and jennifer westfeld are supposed to be like super close friends and she calls him and doesn't even say hello and just says like shark or alligator and it's supposed to be this quirky game they play where they're like supposed to pick which one would be a better way to die and it's these stupid things and only reason i bring that up is because it's like pushing that that too far where in seven 
Yeah. He does an amazing job of just putting these little pieces in to develop the characters and develop the relationships so that everything pays off at the end. That's a really good observation that I haven't thought about. And it's it's interesting to think about because even in movies later on in his career where we appreciate the scripts maybe um, even more so than in Seven, the dialogue isn't really so much about realism or even like the direct the, the, the sort of relationship between the characters, but it's so like precise and almost like little daggers of like of of of, of dialogue that that aren't yeah. quite as real sounding and kind of endearing in a way as it is in seven. That's a really great uh, and interesting point. Now yeah, I don't things up for this. <laughs> no, I just I I don't know what else to say about seven. I mean it. It's it's my number two, by the way, and it was and it was my number one, but I changed it in the duration of this podcast. But <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's true. Like my four through one, like I said, you could shake them up, and and I feel like any of them could be in any order. But um, and this is the beginning of it. It's the number four for you, right? Okay. This is my number four, exactly. Um, but even and it may be, <laughs> it may be partly because seven is such like a, a staple at this point. You know, it's just so, it's so everything we've known about Fincher since then. It's you can go all the way up to now his his TV series with Mindhunter, like everything stems back to seven in a weird way. No, it's a good. It's actually it's a good point. Like seven is, and it was sort of the reason I, I didn't rush to go revisit it because. It's sort of that one that we are just like, okay, yeah, it's a great movie, and it's it's Fincher being Fincher, and we love it, and and that's that. And I'm glad that I got to rewatch a little bit of it because I could pay attention to kind of those little bits that really do elevate it, um, and and take it to something that's more than just a murder mystery. Yeah. So that was number my three. number three. That was Jeremy's number four. Um, my number two is fight. Wait wait wait. wait, 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 Jeremy, you got to do number. Your number three. Yeah, my number three oh. is Social Network. So is mine. Okay, so we're not going to talk too much about that. Yeah, um, uh, revisit our hundredth episode to talk. About can, that. can we just say one thing about it though? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Sure. The one thing I will say is that I think the Social Network, when um, he, when this is really his first experience working with the red camera and. To me, it's 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 uh, Fincher coming into his own as like I think he's the master of digital filmmaking. I don't, I don't think anybody does it better. I don't think anybody was met any. There was no director better suited for digital filmmaking than than Fincher is, and he utilizes the format to his to the the greatest degree and does so many interesting things with it. Um, and I think this is the really the first kind of. I mean, there were two movies before yeah. that, of course, that were shot digitally, but. Um, this one really, I think he comes into his own and, and sort of sets the template for the, the, the future. So I agree and disagree with you, Chapin, because um, my I, I, I was ready to have this whole thing basically say the same thing you did, but about uh, Zodiac, which is my number two. Yeah, that was going to be. Uh, yeah, that's a great. OK. Well, so, so basically Zodiac to me is when digital can uh, digital filmmaking became filmmaking. It, it it took uh, digital f- filmmaking to the mainstream, and it it made it an art form. Like you can argue Michael Mann, and you can try to tell me it's Collateral or Public Enemies or anything like that. But Zodiac is the movie I point to, and I go, "Hey, this is what's 
what digital filmmaking is capable of doing and um that's where i put it on uh, like the history of of filmmaking in general i think i think you're my number two i think you're right i think you could either you could you could bounce between the two for that point so guys just so we don't get too lost can can we each just list our four three and two since we're so we we know where we're at so gone girl seven and fight club um are my four three and two uh, my number four is seven. Uh, my number three is the social network, and my number two is Zodiac. Uh, my number four is Fight Club. My number three is Social Network, and my number two is Seven. Okay, so we've got two Zodiacs. That's my number five. Oh, f- and Chapin turns out that will be your number one. Yes. So um, I want to hear from Lee first because it's Chapin's number one. It's my number two, and uh, Lee, you have a number five. And not, yeah. Lee, quickly, bad, what's but... what's ahead of it? You put Gone Girl ahead of that's the standout, yes. right? Um, yes, that's the that that's the that's the surprise. So here's the deal with Zodiac for me. Um, it's perfect material for Fincher. Ultimately, I felt like there was something missing from this movie to preventing preventing it from being great and. What I determined is, like I said about what Seven didn't do, you know, in, in instead of it, it never became like these little vignettes of, you know, murders, is is Zodiac did do that to a certain extent, and it missed out on a couple things. I feel like... No way, it did not Gray Smith's Gray Smith's obsession felt rushed. I felt like... It, it's you know, a two-and-a-half-hour movie. I know, but you go over the course of many, many years, and... I don't feel like you ever really see how he becomes lost. You just sort of jump from normal to a little bit lost to totally lost. And the same thing happens with Robert no Downey way. Jr. He goes from he goes from totally fine to total drunk. Ugh, did no. you revisit and, this? Yeah, I, I totally I disagree. I mean, to me, this movie is about obsession, and it's about and how it kind of you know. Just, I agree. But what it but it doesn't it doesn't capture it over in a in a in a perfect way and I think the other piece that it's really missing that really really could have helped this movie is the state of fear in San Francisco during this period isn't really there because you don't see enough of the characters outside of of the three leads and no I feel way, like that, you're that totally wrong there. on this like this is a movie that gets into the minutia and the intricacies of being. Um, well, I guess obsessed is the word, or being interested in something and taking these characters and seeing where their uh, interests in, in, in obsessions take them. And I, I don't know, like it's two and a half hours long and it's just totally intriguing because it's not only just a murder mystery of who's the Zodiac and are we going to solve it, but it's a look at these people's psyches and what they're thinking and what they're trying to accomplish both in their personal lives, in their professional lives and the, and basically what it takes to do a job, whether you're a newspaper reporter, a cartoonist, a detective, like, I don't know. I think, I think this is, I don't disagree that that's what this movie is. Overall movie as far as just like, like a, tapestry of integrating a bunch of different stories and a bunch of different characters I, and look I I agree I do agree that 
there that that everything you said about what this movie is about and what he tries to capture. But what I didn't see and what I didn't feel and get out of this movie was the progression of those obsessions. And you do see the results of it. You but you see it on a scene by scene basis. You don't, or, or rather, like a like I said, like little. I don't. The vignette's not the right word, but you see you see it in stages. You don't see the downfalls and the progression of how it little by little just takes over their lives. And I feel like that was missing. And, and what I, what I had originally remembered about this movie is just sort of the, the mood of it. And this time around, I didn't feel it. And I, and I just think with kind of the horror that the Zodiac killer created in San Francisco, where everything was so random and he just toyed with everybody, there was never this state of fear throughout. And they, and I just feel like that, you know, the scene where they're talking, where they get the letter saying that he's going to bomb a school bus, it felt like it was just so passed over. And those oh, things man. I feel like could have been could have been highlighted so much more and just created this such is a like, darker hair. If you were to pick movie. one of Fincher's movies and say this is jerk off cinema, Zodiac is it. Like it, it is like filmmaking 101. It is just amazing in that in that aspect. I don't know, Chavin, back me up here. What am I missing? Yeah, I mean, I just just disagree. I mean, Lee, the 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 example I'd give for both of those things is there's a scene where, um, where, uh, Gyllenhaal as a single dad is is like is getting his kid ready for school and he is about to put him on the bus and then he pulls him off and you 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 both see like the fear. I think Gyllenhaal there and com- embodies the fear that you're you're saying is absent from from here. That he, you see it embodied in him. This idea that you know anything could happen to any of the anybody in in the in the sort of geographical area that the Zodiac operated, but also. Um, you see that you see his obsession, like like a need to solve it and an excuse to solve it, because now it's starting to affect his kids. But also, right. I think something that should stand out is the way this movie is different than Seven. You see a lot of the murders, and I think that as an puts you in it, ma- it makes you feel like you're someone who was living in this area at that time. Like you could have been that couple on, uh, you know, by the lake, or you could have been. Um, I don't know what the woman with the baby. Yeah, you know, like the that make that makes you feel uh, that scene especially. That's a great example. Like someone that's a great scene. Someone could very easily have done that to you, and so you instead of you know kind of uh, being on the outskirts of the murders, like you are, like you being kind of removed from the murders as you are in Seven, which has its own effect. It's sort of like the rotting of the city, the 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 the, the sort of the state of 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 the you know this idea of this like sort of crumbling society the constant rain the like the living in this awful city you know you, you know being not seeing the murders makes you feel like you have absolutely no control over it but when you are in zodiac you see the murders and you become a part of them and i think that has that effect that you're saying is missing right and i think part of the problem is and not to compare it too much to to 7 but 7 ultimately takes place over the course of a week and Zodiac takes place over the course of years and it had the unfortunate task of trying to you know create this this sense of fear in a city over the course of that period of time while also being a little bit of a character piece and essentially showing the lives of three different characters changing over the course of all this time in two and a half hours which is a long time but ultimately a short 
amount of time to cover that much material. I just, and I don't I, know if he bit off more than he could chew or what, but it, it ultimately it didn't all work for me. And I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but I feel like you. It's weird that you're you're hinging so much on the fear of the city because that didn't bother me. To me. And, well, and that, it, I wanted that in this movie, and maybe that's just my own thing. I yeah, just feel like apparently. this movie was was ripe for that, and it, it wasn't there. What I thought was really interesting about this movie, and usually I don't like this about movies, but I don't even know whose movie this was. You know, was it Jake Gyllenhaal's movie? Was it um, Mark Ruffalo's movie? You know, oh, see, I, I think it's definitely Gyllenhaal. I felt sure, I, it, sure, especially towards this maybe the second half. I don't know where the divide is, but I feel like. At the beginning, you had those three maybe kind of sharing the screen equally, but, uh, you know, the Downey Jr. sort of started to fall off the map a little bit as he deteriorated. But my point is there was never, like, you could go from one to the other. Like, there was never a clear main character there, but that never bothered me in this movie. It was about about solving the case, and it was about obsession. And to me, that was just so interesting. I mean, one thing and, you have to think look, about is that he is in 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 a little in in some ways, unlike Seven, he's you know chained to this true story, which is fascinating. And at the end, they do so many things where you know you, this the, this the case is never solved, and they have to deal with that. And like you know, they, like you feel that as the as an audience member when you leave, beca- and you feel what what Kartoski and and. Uh, um, and and Smith. yeah, Graysmith and all of them feel throughout the whole movie because because that time period is so long; it's decades, right? Yeah, and look, by no means did I dislike this movie, and I think part of the reason it falls below Gone Girl in this case for me is because you're crazy. No, because I do <laughs> feel like it was a bit of a missed opportunity. I, I felt like there was so much more that Fincher could have done with this movie whether it has to do with the mood of the movie, whether it has to do with how we see, uh, you know, the downfall of these characters due to their obsession. I feel like the stuff that was, there was a lot left on the table. And as a result, you know, it, it falls behind Gone Girl, which, you know, and maybe this isn't the way the list should be ranked, but that movie kind of surprised me how much I liked it this time around. And there is some cinematic jerk-off material here, but, you know, ultimately it didn't, it, you know, cinematic Jerichoff material is only as good as it makes the movie. So whether it's there or not on a scene-by-scene basis, it doesn't really matter. Like for me, if we did our best of the decade for the 2000s, did we ever do that? No. Well, yeah, yeah, we yeah. We did in the, the, two- the 100th episode. Well, oh, no, no, that was 2010s. No. Yeah, t- 2010. We, we, we did it, Jeremy. There. Yeah, I know, earlier. But for me now, having re revisited it this this would be on the best of the the decade all right okay so, number ones on to number ones well, mine is this really only one movie you haven't talked about well fight club we haven't talked about in social network we haven't talked about social network's my number one if and if i can just briefly say guys i really i don't think it's close i don't know what's the matter with you guys <laughs> that's so weird i like that know. to me is cinematic jerkoff material. Like that has every single piece that you look for in a movie. It no, has I agree with you. It, like it's up. It's clearly our best of the decade for this decade, right? Or the last decade. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I'm glad I rewatched. Especially, I'm glad I rewatched Seven and Fight Club because they're movies I've always held in high regard, but hadn't seen in a long time. And rewatching them, it was, it, you know, it it did elevate them in my opinion. But 
I, I just I don't know this like I it's social network is so good on every single level and I, if we were to continue if we were to have a, another podcast about it like it, it would be boring to listen to because it would just be me just jizzing all over it <laughs> all right that's one hour 25 minutes <laughs> but we're not supposed to talk about social network so let's talk about fight club my number two my number one fight club my number four okay this right, so the, the, the important thing here, I think, for I think what I'll say, and then I'll just say this, and then get out and listen to you guys. But um, it, it, this movie was like a seminal movie at the time. I remember again it was one of those weird experiences where I remember exactly where and with who I saw it with. I was like a young, I was in high, uh, my freshman year of high school. I went with a bunch of older kids and. Um, I was just blown away. It was like exactly what my, you know, angry 14 year old heart needed at that time. And, um, it was, um, it was very impactful on me, but I think what I will take away, what I'll say is, and why it's number four on my list is I just don't think it has, it's so of that time or of that period or, or of whatever it's trying to do there that, um, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hold up for me as well as, seven which was much earlier than this and social network which you know that's not a necessarily a totally fair comparison but um you know it 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 just is it just feels very much for me linked to that you know teenager and the kind of things i was into at the time and i think there's a there's a bit of immaturity in the filmmaking there that worked for me then that doesn't now but um so that's what i'll say well, so I totally I was disagree. Yeah, I was surprised how relevant this movie still yeah. felt. To me. I, I was, I, I, to, I went into this movie totally expecting it not to hold up. Me too. Me too. To to basically say the exact same thing you did, Jabin. But when I rewatched it, I was like, "This is just, this is amazing." Like, it, it, it. To, like, I, I felt that it was going to be like an American Beauty or something. Me like too. That, yeah, I was exactly where, the same way. Where it was about, like, you know, somebody who's too into consumerism and just, it, like, and that's all this, this movie was about. But it was so much deeper than that. And it, it was, it was filmmaking that was, at the time, it, it like, it, it was like a revelation and then when i rewatched it recently i was like yeah th- this is amazing this totally works so i know uh, getting more specific what what amazed me about this movie is that it hints at its twist ending better than probably any movie i've ever seen and i'm not just talking about the the one frames of brad pitt popping up like the lines of dialogue from ed norton that that give you that in hindsight having seen the movie you're like oh that he he is Tyler Durden. It's it's amazing how well he does that. And then on top of that, how perfect the transition from Fight Club into Project Mayhem is, and how seamless and smooth that is, is amazing storytelling. And sure, credit the script to a certain extent, but in this case, I think Fincher just, in many ways, the same way he did with The Social Network, found a perfect script and and was the perfect director for it. Yeah, but I also think it's Fincher at his at his best like i think it's fincher doing something beyond the script it's fincher taking that script and elevating it to something beyond it 
I mean, I can't totally argue. I've read the book Fight Club, which is, you know, one of those books that you'd say, how the hell would they adapt this into a movie and is kind of twisted and fucked up in its own way. Um, So, yeah, it certainly took a great director to do that. And yes, this this movie in seven, I think, are the movies that sort of define Fincher and his style and mood. And I guess you guys would put Zodiac into that category as well. But I do think that, you know, a lot of credit does have to go to the, the script. Who wrote the script for this? It's Jim Earl, I think, is his name. Uh, love him. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it, it, it does, this movie does hinge on a certain level of believability or it would become he hasn't really uh, done the it. game he wrote jumper that's the only other thing of note that he's written that's yeah and that's a good well, and we won't note that yeah um this movie could have very easily fallen victim to the same problems that the game did where it kind of fell into the realm of unbelievability but you know, fight the Fight Club just kind of works in the you know the evolution of that, and then how it it kind of evolves into Project Mayhem makes sense. And and you know, if there's anything that that's a little weird and like otherworldly, it's when he goes to different cities and they're kind of a bit of a cult, saying like his name was Robert Paulson in the background. Like, how does that really work? But you know, but none of that matters. Please, Lee. yeah, it, it doesn't. Like- it doesn't like this this movie you respond to on a visceral level like you either respond to it or you don't and i expected going into this movie that i like i just i i'd be too mature for it i it it would be you know like japen said it was probably when i was younger but seeing it again it's just like no this this movie kicks ass it's it's just it it's like like i said it's like a visceral sort of experience it's not even a film experience yeah no i I, you're totally right i I, but i do but for me that is kind of what i mean we 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 identify it is in my top four i'm sorry lee where was this for you number two number two yep um it's number my number four, but now that I'm looking at all this, I, I do see a distinction between the fir- the top three and Fight Club. I, I I think I have a love for those top three that Fight Club I don't just don't include it in. And I mean, the only thing I would just ask you guys is is like, do you? Uh, I you know it's it is a punch in the face. It's it is a very visceral experience and. To me, the three movies that I have above it, Social Network 7 and Zodiac, are just a little more subtle and I think refined and maybe a little more depth at, at, the, at, at filmmaking. And like I said, like those, I think you can be in a mood to understand and appreciate that stuff and certainly of an age, as I explained in my, that what I just said in the opening of it. But though, that's the only, that is really the only distinction I can say, but it's a significant one for me. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, like, Fight Club is, like I said, it's how you respond to it. It's No, I, I mean, do think I that think everybody probably... can say it's, like, an ama- like filmmaking-wise, it's an amazing film. But you have to respond to it on, a, like, on an emotional level or else it doesn't work for you. And that's fine. Like, you know, no, I do not everybody's going to fall is, for it. You know, we've, we've gone on a lot about how perfect a 
a, a blend Sorkin and Fincher were for the social network. But what I think is interesting here is how how what Fincher does with this movie is is so perfect for this script and the story that it tells. Like I don't know that this story and script would work with any other style. And Jeremy, you talked about kind of the visceral nature of it. I don't know, like it needed all of that sort of the frenetic nature of, of even the music and the on the credit sequence to open the movie is is central to, like the mood and how you feel about this movie all the way through. Yeah, it puts you um, in the mindset of of the sort of anarchists who and come yeah. to inhabit the movie. Yeah, yeah, you're you're rightly like this is a cocktail of basically. Uh, it's a volatile cocktail. Like if all the pieces don't work, this thing totally explodes and do- and doesn't work at all. But but when uh, they do, unlike, it's perfect. Yeah, unlike any other of his movies, this is the most this is the most dangerous one as far as just it's either gonna work or it's not. And 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 Fincher's able to balance all those pieces, including the Brad Pitt, including Edward Norton, including the score, the score, like. Did I say the score twice? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's like, weird. Pulled a little Rain Man there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's weird. I just realized. No. <laughs> At least I realized I did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it it's his biggest balancing act, and his, in my opinion, his biggest accomplishment as a director. So, real quick, um, Chapin, I. At least I think this is the case. You are not a big fan of Brad Pitt as an actor. Is that correct? No. So Fight Club and Seven, your thoughts on him? I, I think um, he that Fincher pulled an Affleck in Seven, and, and Brad Pitt is perfectly stupid and aloof in that movie. I think that's kind of who he is. He's kind of this character that he, he, he has this – I mean that character in Seven is is just like the perfect balance to Morgan Freeman, but I I think in Fight Club I I don't like him as much, and it's one of the reasons really? maybe this movie just falls for me. I, I, Are you serious? Wow. Like, he is he unbelievable is, in this movie. I really I really he is that I character. Really, Without him, this doesn't work. I really really disagree. I think. Oh my god. <laughs> to me, Edward Norton. I mean, I, again, what's happening on this podcast? I'm defending Edward Norton to you guys, but. Edward Norton is like the anchor of the acting in this movie for me. I don't. Yeah, think but Brad Pitt is the epitome of what he needs to be and what he wants I, to be. I guess. Like I don't. Just, I don't uh, buy. I don't buy him in this. Okay, so so look, this could be, it could be both, but it is again another example of of Fincher casting the absolutely perfect actor in a role. Whether or not you think he's good or not doesn't matter. Brad Pitt is ultimately the manifestation of the male fantasy of who they want to be. But uh, come on, Chapin. He is so good in this movie. I don't think so. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. What, what are we at? One hour, 20 minutes. Cut Chapin. No, we're, we're at one hour, your film 36 thing. minutes. <laughs> Oof. I would no. I would. Right. I would. I, we should have. This should be the thing. If if people are going to email us this week, and we know we know at least Tyson's listening. So Tyson, you email us. <laughs> Whoever's listening, and you're, who's a huge Fincher fan. Who do they think? Who? What do you guys think of Brad Pitt in set in in Fight Club? In yes, the Fight that's Club. That's the question as, of the week. I, I remember people would always say <laughs> the Fight Club, and it would drive me absolutely up the wall. No, that the thing to do is put the before all of all of uh, Fincher's movies. So you got the Curious Case, the Alien, 
What do you do with the the social network? Uh, Yeah, well, just lose the just the panic room social network. It's cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) For our our fixies, we are going to give actor, actress, cinematography, and screenplay in a Fincher film. So I will start with best actor. Lee, you brought him up. I really wanted to put Morgan Freeman on this list. I think his performance in Seven is so good. It anchors that movie. It makes that movie so interesting. It really, it is like the the theme of that movie is is encompassed in in, in his character. But um, when I got down to it, I had to go with the boring pick, which was Sir Jesse Eisenberg as Mark, the dreaded Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network. The Je- the Mark Zuckerberg that lost sixty million dollars and is still the fourth richest man. Sixty in the world. billion. Billion. That's what I mean. Sixty billion. Yeah. yeah 60 with a billion. Oh my god. He, no one's cool. He, had on him. he could have lost sixty billion. He could have lost sixty <laughs> yeah. million over the course of this podcast and not given a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Go, Jer- uh, Jeremy. You go. Cool. Actor. Best actor. I, weirdly, I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to include uh, Morgan Freeman, but I had to go with Jesse Eisenberg. Okay, I. Lee, we know I yours, just, Justin Timberlake. You thought he'd win an, an, an Oscar. Yeah, and I was wrong. But I actually, I was, I knew Social Network would be heavy on this, um, on these fixies, and I was surprised that it wasn't all of our number one Fincher film. However, um, because of that, I tried to think outside the box a little bit. My best actor goes to Edward Norton in Fight Club, who, right. as much as I like Brad Pitt, is Ed Norton. Chapin, you you are right. He is the anchor of that movie, and he is amazing in it. And I actually think it it probably is his best performance, as much as I've always given American History X that crown. No, that's the, I'm glad you picked that. Good pick, good pick. Okay, um, best act. Uh, any, anything more to say about that? No. Okay, great. Best actress. So <laughs> this was a tough one. Um, you know, I I think in in his more recent years, Fincher's has, has been better about women, but. Um, I don't know. I I, I, this I like was... how we've done retrospectives, and they've been Tarantino and Fincher. Next is going to be like Scorsese. You know, anyone who doesn't involve women, yeah, very, yeah. very masculine, <laughs> misogynistic uh, filmmakers here. Okay, but I, again, this is this might be a little bit of a, a bad pick given your conversation on this. But I went with Rooney Mara in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I like her performance in that. Again, I don't have the perspective of the book or the previous movie, but um, I think she creates a really strong character. But that's character. probably better. She goes through a whole lot. I, I like her the subtleties of her character. Um, I think she's a great actress. I, 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 on a sort of a minute-by-minute basis, I think she might be better in the social network, but as an overall I, performance, I, I think this is the one. I agree, actually. And I had that same thought that I actually think she's better in the social network, but she's in it for such a short period of time. But I'm glad you kind of have the perspective on Dragon Tattoo without the comparisons, Chapin, because I think it's important to look at that movie on its own. And, you know, it probably is better than maybe me and Jeremy gave it credit for. And same with Rooney Mara. All right. So, Jeremy, what's yours? It's Roseman Pike from Gone Girl. I think her performance, that whole movie hinged on her performance and uh, it it was, this, I mean, at least the second time I saw it, I thought it was amazing. Okay, it and was, for me, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, it was one of his few movies that absolutely the performance mattered to make that movie work. Sure. And she pulled it off. That's a good point, yeah. So since we weren't including supporting performances in this and also since the female lead roles were limited 
Uh, I did something here similar to what I did in our Tarantino retrospective where I went with ultimately what was probably a supporting performance but Helena Bonham Carter from Fight Club I'm is glad my that was actress. my that was my backup I love that she's movie. amazing mm, in that yeah. movie and she's an actress I really like I think she's great in a lot of things but she shows up in a lot of Tim Burton movies and the Harry Potters and I feel like this is such a different type of role for her and granted it came before a lot of those movies but I, she's unbelievable in this movie yeah. yeah, no, that was that would have been my next pick. I, I really like that. She's a bright spot for me in that um, Ricky Gervais, Steve Merchant, Warwick Davis movie, uh, Life is Too Short, or series of Life is Too Short, where she can't, <laughs> she's having trouble performing opposite Warwick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so uh, best cinematography. This one was a clear winner. I mean, I think. Um, uh, for me, Fincher is a is a visualist in a, in a strange way. I think his uh, more recent movies are sort of almost deliberately ugly. I thought I think he he doesn't really care much about them being beautiful, which I think is very very bold. But uh, he finds beauty in the darkness in uh, Seven, which was shot by um, Darius Kanji. A beautiful movie. Yeah, for me, it was uh, basically your argument, Chapin, for Social Network. Uh, which to me was really the argument for Zodiac and that's my winner for cinematography. Harris Savides, yeah. A close second for me. That was going to be my clear clear winner but then I was like uh, yeah. Um, Alright so I'm going to make it a three for three here. Libo uh, the I'm going with I'm going with Fight Club. A three for th- how's that three for three? Because all three my picks ones. so far have been have been from Fight Club. Oh, oh, actor, wow. actress wow, and wow, cinematography. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, I don't know who shot it. <laughs> I didn't look it up. Uh, jo- uh, Jordan, uh, no, um, Jeff Cronowith, who is his current, who is shoots all his stuff now. Yeah, see, that's why I picked him. Okay, he's the be- he's the best. This is going to be a boring answer, but the best screenplay for me, I, I think, is The Social Network. Um, although now that I think about it, Seven takes a real close second. Um, oh, and Zodiac, yeah, uh, but Social Network <laughs> and Zodiac. Uh, no, I, it's Social Network. Yeah, I so here was I, I I wrote down a close second also Chapin because there's no denying Social Network here it it would be a crime to pretend anything else was better. Um, Gone Girl was a close second for me though. I think the screenplay there w- w- made a huge difference in why that movie ranked so high for me. Christ. Okay, so that'll wrap things up on this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast and the second director retrospective on the great David Fincher. As always, if you have anything to tell us, please email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. You can also find us on our socials uh, at Get Your Film Fix Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We encourage everybody to head over to iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, a review. Those always help uh, our ego and our uh, accessibility to all the um, poor people who aren't able to listen to us because they don't know we're here. So help rich them people. out. Or rich people, or the you know the 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 Nick Van Ortons of the world. Yeah, that'd be great if we could get, if we just could just get one Nick Van Orton to listen and sponsor yeah, and a us. donation. Yeah, that would be that's the goal. It's either one rich guy or a bit a million poor people. <laughs> <laughs> ¶¶